Well, welcome back once again, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Kyle Style Podcast. We're back on the air or the cloud or whatever you're hearing me right now. And that's because we very quickly reached a sufficient level of our GoFundMe goal. So, just take a second and listen to that. You hear that? That's the sound of expensive silence is what that is. You help pay for it. Now, here it is. So, here, here it is again. You get to... There you go. You hear that? See? That's just money. It's just money flowing. And some of it uh, came from you. You know, you humble uh, contributors out there. So, what do I have for you today? Well, got a couple news stories here that kind of got me thinking. So, as you may have heard, if you've been on Facebook, if you know uh, I fucking love science and other other news channels are really kind of pimping this story because it's sensational, but it's a good, it's a cool story. There's cool stuff going on in it. So, uh, has Kepler discovered an alien megastructure around a distant star? <gasps> I don't know. Has it? Well, you know, we probably don't know. Otherwise, they would just tell us that, right? But we're in the age of clickbait, so here we go. Basically. Kepler Observatory, which is a, a, a telescope that is in outer space, kind of like the Hubble, specifically designed to look for alien planets, uh, planets which are not in our solar system, right? not necessarily aliens. We don't know if there's any aliens there or not, but they detected a strange signal by looking at this uh, specific planet or star, KIC. 8462852, also known as Tabby's Star. And around this uh, star, they've found uh, a peculiar signal, a uh, pattern that they could be, you know, could be some kind of alien megastructure. And Jason Wright, an astronomer from Penn State University, was quoted as saying, Aliens should always be the very last hypothesis you consider. But this looked like something you would expect an alien civilization to build. Now, how intriguing is that? Of course, he also said you should uh, be last to hypothesize that it's aliens. But here we are, it's the clickbait age, and so the headline just becomes, you know, there's aliens around this planet. We have no idea if that's true. But... Looking into this and seeing other people be cynical about it, like I did uh, on internet, uh, you know, news channels and whatnot, and message boards, the comments section of some of these news sites, I, I got to digging. All right, now a megastructure. You're like, well, what's what's a megastructure, and why would they build a giant megastructure around the star? Right? Like, why would we build a giant megastructure around the star? Sounds uh, exorbitant. Sounds uh, very involved. Right. But there is a scale. It's known as the Kardashev scale. Now, this, is, this was first proposed in 1964 by a Soviet astronomer named Nikolai Kardashev. The Kardashev scale, Kardashev scale, 
It is a method of measuring a civilization's level of technological advancement based on the amount of energy a civilization is able to utilize. So, according to Michio Kaku, and you probably might know who that is if you know anything about uh, space stuff and science stuff in the media, Michio Kaku, he believes that we could reach a Type 1 civilization in the next 100 to 200 years. Now, a Type 1 civilization is uh, able to harness the energy sources on their planet, right? So, and that would include uh, its energy capability equivalent to the solar insulation on Earth. So, our fossil fuels and other energy sources. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Now, a type 2 civilization uh, would be capable of utilizing and channeling the entire radiation output of its star. So, this would mean they can construct something known as a Dyson sphere or a Dyson swarm, a megastructure where you would, uh, it was originally described by Freeman Dyson uh, as a system of solar power satellites that you would almost completely enclose a star and capture almost all the energy that could possibly come out of it. Right? Now that's huge, right? If you have any idea of how big the sun is and just be a huge structure, but if you could really harness all of that energy, you would have an immense amount of energy, right? So, you know, then there's a type 3 civilization who would, I guess, be able to harness the energy of an entire galaxy. I don't even know what that means, because, you know, a star, you could see building a box around a star and holding all the, capturing all the energy that comes out of it. Uh, uh, around an entire galaxy, that's a little, it's a little hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy for me. But why am I so cynical about it uh, being aliens? Well, because it probably isn't aliens. I mean, it's just you know, it's probably some natural formation. There's probably, and they've even said this that there might be a group of comets that were maybe blasted to pieces, and they're all flying around in orbit around this star, and it's creating that signal. So it's not an ordered structure around this thing. It's just a bunch of debris that happens to maybe kind of resemble a pattern. And something to keep in mind, this is, this is the other part, is the other news story I came upon here. This is point number two. Right? The headline reads, this is from discovery.com, Earth bloomed early, a Fermi paradox solution. You're like, what does all that mean? Well, apparently the Earth is a young planet as far as the galaxy and the universe is concerned. So the Earth formed during the first 8% of the, uh, of the sort of universal swirling, right, of planets that could be like Earth we were formed early in that process. 8% was the, the first 8% of the swirling gases and whatnot. The Earth formed in that. So that leaves 
that can still form and become planets. So, in theory, anyway, uh, this, ex this could be an explanation for what is known as the Fermi Paradox. Right? Now, the Fermi Paradox is a critique on the famous Drake Equation. For those who don't know, I mean, I guess if you do know, you could skip ahead a couple minutes or something. I'm going to try to explain it quickly. So the Drake equation literally is n, right, which is the number of civilization. You know what? Okay. n equals r times f sub p times n sub e times f sub l times f sub i times f sub c times f sub l. What does that mean? Okay. r is the average rate of star formation in our galaxy. F sub P is the fraction of those stars that have planets. N sub E is the average number of planets that can potentially support life per star that has planets. Right? F, sub, F sub L, the fraction of planets that could support life that actually develop life. Just because they could doesn't mean they will. F sub I, the fraction of planets with life that actually go on to develop intelligent life like ours has in civilizations. F sub C, the fraction of civilizations that develop a technology that releases detectable signs of their existence into space, like our radio signals and our, you know, even our Voyager spacecrafts that are flying out past the, uh, past the solar system now. And uh, F sub L is the length of time for which such civilizations release detectable signals into space. So, you know, a hundred years ago, you wouldn't have heard that we we're because we didn't have powerful radio signals going out. Now we have tons of them. So it took at least 100 years to get messages headed out. And even at the speed of light, which is something I'm going to get into a little later, uh, the scale is so massive that you know they're just not reaching very far. right? And so N is the number of civilizations in our galaxy with which radio communication might be possible. That's just the number of worlds that we could communicate with. Right? Drake, in uh, 1961, using the numbers they had then, because these numbers are constantly shifting, uh, concluded that it would be, there were probably between 1,000 and 100 million civilizations in the Milky Way galaxy. Thus, we arrive at Enrico Fermi's critique known as Fermi's Paradox, basically, where are all the neighbors? Where are they all? If there should be as many as 100 million, shouldn't we have come across one of them by now? Shouldn't one of them come, you know, flown by by now? You know, of course, maybe they have, and they came by before there was anything here, so they went, eh. Maybe they did, and they looked at us, and they thought we were ugly, and they moved on. Uh, maybe they knew we were potentially horrendously violent culture and they you know joined a galactic consortium to make sure that we never get out of our solar system we could we could be that bad but if you take into account the uh the news story there it's possible that uh we're the first ones i mean we could we could literally be the first or at least the first nearby there there's none near us that we'll you know have ever would ever really be able to make contact with uh, and we're the aliens, man. Like, what if we're the aliens? 
and we're the ones that are going to be, the, the aliens are going to detect our signal when they finally get their, you know, radio telescopes online, and they're going to go, oh my god, there's aliens out there, and it's going to cause for them what we always seem to think will cause for us, like the movie Contact and whatnot, that it will be this, this uh, disruptive kind of force in their civilization. They'll, they'll, their religion will be thrown into turmoil the way kind of ours would be, and and so on. But there's another, there's a whole another issue that I realize now when I'm trying to research this, okay? And that is that space travel and faster than light travel, it's just, it's kind of not, I mean, it's not possible mathematically, theoretically, and everything, but even if you go the speed of light, it's just, it's just not sexy. It's just so, it's so mind-numbingly, soul-crushingly huge, okay? I mean, if you think about it, the speed of light is 299,792... No, no, no. 299,792,458 meters per second. It's almost 300 million meters per second. You could circle the Earth's equator seven and a half times in one second, okay? And KIC 8462852, Tabby's star, is 1,465 light years from Earth. So even if you set off at the speed of light, it would take you 1,465 years to get there. And because of time dilation, which this is a whole mind boggling thing, but the time dilation from going to the speed of light means that by the time you got back, we might not even be here anymore, right? Talking, I mean, you know, 3,000 years would have transpired in the time it takes you to get there and back. Uh, that's at the speed of light, right? And I mean, something I remember seeing is that because of that fact, by the time you got there with a, a light speed ship, right, if you can develop a way to go faster, you would arrive there and people who left from your planet after you would have passed you and been there and already set up a civilization. <laughs> so how about that? Like you just, there's almost no point in sending a ship that goes at the speed of light, right? And to reiterate this sort of time dilation thing, this is this was really trippy and really tripped me out. So uh, after six months on board the International Space Station, the ISS, the astronaut crew has aged less than those on Earth, but only by about 0 .005 seconds, right? And there's been, they've tracked atomic clocks and whatnot, and they are in outer space and moving at the speed that they are, they, and, and more removed from our gravity, they run slower, right? It's just a, it's just a, you know, it's Einstein's theory of relativity. It's just a matter of being in the universe that time goes slower when you go faster. And as you approach the speed of light, it stops, basically, and so this is this was a great um, 
so I found some some answers on uh, Quora.com. So this is Stephen Hoyer of physics, a PhD from UC Berkeley, he said, so the visible universe has a radius of 46 billion light years, okay? 46 billion of anything is kind of hard to imagine, but it's 46 billion light years, which is ridiculously huge, right? So it's 92 billion light years across, okay? 46 billion light year radius, 92 billion light years across, give or take a few. So to an observer on the Earth, it would take 92 billion years for a ship to go the speed of light across the universe. Now, in the case of an object moving at 0.99999% the speed of light, this works out to about 410 million years on the ship. So the observer who could live for 92 billion years could sit there waiting for it to come back for 92 billion years. But on the ship, it's only, only 410 million years that they would experience on it, right? So that's like kind of the ratio, that's the, the, the gradation there, or the discrepancy. And at 99% of, of light speed, to the ship's passengers, they feel like one day is passing would be a whole year passing back on Earth. And I, I, I love how this next one is written. It's by a man named Andy Bradford. I'll try to give him a shout out here. Uh, also from Quora. But if you could make yourself and spacecraft into oh my god particles, just, you know, super fast particles, then apparently you could traverse 13.7 billion light years in about 16 days. Those observed particles believed to be protons, are apparently traveling at about 0.9999999 times the speed of light. So just a fraction under the speed of light. Of course, 16 days later, you emerge at a point 13.7 billion light years away from the Earth. With a good enough telescope, you could look back and you would see what was happening on Earth 16 days after you. If you could watch during the journey, you wouldn't even notice that people on Earth were aging very slightly more than you. In fact, you have traveled so close to the speed of light that a clock visible on the Earth to you would be only about one and a half microseconds different from your spacecraft clock. And that difference would remain constant while you were there. Now, the reason is, is because the, if you leave from the Earth at the speed of light, light that's leaving the Earth is also going at the speed of light. So you're staying in a constant state. When you look back, the Earth looks the way that it did right then, right? And it will stay sort of in your presence as the, the observer on the spaceship, right? Now, this is where it gets crazy. The return journey would be a bit more exciting. So let us ignore the fact that the Doppler shift on any observed image of Earth would mean imaging lenses would have to be viewing light well past the frequency of gamma rays. I don't know what that means. Get ready and don't blink, because within the first five milliseconds of travel, you will see everyone you know on Earth die. A hundred years has just passed. Now every single second you are watching 20,000 years go by. 
Because remember, you went out there with the same, alongside the photons that hit the Earth and bounced back off when you left. So now you're going forward, back in time. You're you're going, you're going to be seeing the light coming from the Earth closer and closer to where it actually is, not where it was when you reached out that far. I wouldn't be surprised if mankind disappeared in that first second. I would be very surprised if man were still evident on Earth one minute later, with an observation rate of approximately 2 billion years per day, 80 million years per hour, and 1 million years per minute the spacecraft occupants could spend the first week observing the remaining life cycle of the sun. By the time our spacecraft gets back to the solar system, the sun is about 27 billion years older than when they left, and by then the sun, if still intact, would be very dead. Any lessons learned about the nature of the universe following this trip would be of no use to any of the ex-Earth residents who are actually more likely to have discovered those lessons by other means after the spacecraft had left. The Earthbound scientists would never know if their oh-my-god-speed spacecraft was ever successful, unless they came to the conclusion that the observation of occasional oh-my-god particles in real life is evidence from an alien version of the craft which completely disintegrated at full speed. How's that for kind of trippy, right? A fast-forward view of the destruction of the Earth by running into the photons that emanated from the Earth, getting closer and closer to its actual state, not where it was when you were out there seeing it. Ah, stuff is just, it's like mind-bending. But again, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the fact that it's this this linear travel, I guess is the only way to put it. This you know, faster than light or light speed travel is still incredibly inefficient and apparently physically impossible uh, for various reasons. But like, never mind never mind just going right because if we're the aliens, man. We're going to invade these these bug planets and wipe out these predators, you know. We, we can't. Like, we can't. We, if we build a ship now, <clears throat> if we build a ship now, by the time it got there, that alien civilization might also be wiped out or dead. Or would have evolved to a point, you remember Ender's Game a little bit there, uh, it would have evolved to a point where now our army wouldn't be anything to them. Though it would be, you know, it would, it would be toasters against uh, uh, super advanced aliens. And so we, like, you can't, we can't even, you couldn't even send robots. Because you send a, you send a rover to, you know, to Tabby's star. It takes, it will take you 1,500 years to issue a command to it, right? The little rover like we have on Mars, you, you wait, I don't know, is it 15 minutes or something like that, 45 minutes for the, the rover to receive instructions? Imagine waiting 1,500 years. It's like absurd, and, and no one 
it's so unsexy and uninspiring that like no one's even gonna try to do that. So it's you know we like to keep we like to imagine these uh, aliens right there's there's the there's this terrifying slimy killer alien the predators and aliens alien uh, Independence Day aliens you've got your technologically advanced but sort of stoic uh, aliens your your Vulcans your Star Trek aliens right and then there's like the cute cuddly furry aliens your your Lilo and Stitch and your uh, you know, Ewoks and whatnot, and they just are these creatures that are out there, and in these, you know, in the, all the sci-fi stuff that we love, these cultures and species all kind of co-mingle, and you've got that Star Wars uh, Moss Eisley Cantina thing, and, uh, you know, Star Trek, you know, councils of all these uh, different species and civilizations, and they, there's drama between them and everything, but it just, it's not real. Like, you can't, Unless there's some kind of physics bending, uh, teleportation, or uh, like the the Event Horizon movie, the the black hole ship that can fold space time and travel around uh, that way. But even then, you would travel far away. How do you communicate back with home? You open the portal and send a radio signal through, and then there's another one on the other side, or it's some kind of stargate that goes through a wormhole and you go through the wormhole and you're not really going at the speed of light. You're just slipping through. And so there's no time dilation. Like, it's it's like a real spacefaring is soul-crushing. Like, you, it's, it's completely unforgiving, too. Like, if you're off on tiny calculations, you're not going to be anywhere near where you're trying to go. Never mind bouncing right through a star or flying right through a supernova. I mean, you just, like, that could that could happen. You might just end up completely on the other side of the galaxy. I don't, I don't know how you, even, how you even plan around this stuff. But we're not there yet, of course, as a civilization or as a species. We're not even, I mean, we have that, like, Titan project, that Titan design, uh, which is like a nuclear warhead powered ship that could practically it would, it would be practical uh, at least according to Sagan to get up to you know near light speed with a craft like that but we're not building that <laughs> we're not, no one's even started considering trying to build that and again the question is kind of like why um, just in a practical standpoint unless we know that there was aliens and we want to go meet them which would have its own problems or we know there's I don't know, a, a planet made of unobtainium or whatever it is that we could use and we, you know, we're going to go mine it and it's of immense value to us to engage in this huge endeavor. I mean, you're talking about generations of people would have to live on a sub-light speed ship for 1,500 years just to arrive at a planet that we want to visit. And then start mining and send it back. I mean, we, we don't we don't we don't even have solar panels on all of the buildings in Phoenix, Arizona, <laughs> to help us with our energy problems. And we, you know, we don't have cold fusion. We're not even harnessing tidal energy. 
we're not doing anything long term. We're not we're not particularly a good long term planning species. So I don't know. I mean the the unfortunate thing is that the high drama, high action science fiction stuff is is just that. It's it's science fiction and it's drama. And not saying we should not fund the space program, ladies and gentlemen, okay? I'm not saying that at all. Like, we, we need all those baby steps. We need all those baby steps to go a mile, right? And I don't know. I just hope that in the – I hope that there's maybe a way around it, you know? And people smarter than me – I mean, I'm just talking into a microphone to people on the Internet and hoping to get some likes and some, some listens. There's people who really – can understand a lot of the science a lot better than I can, and I mean, they haven't given up yet, right? They, they're still working on it. They still believe, so maybe we'll meet the fuzzy, furry, Furby, Stitch, Ewok aliens, and uh, and we'll get to we'll get to, to visit them, right? We'll be the ones that arrive in the advanced ships, and have crazy medical technologies and hopefully no longer be the brutal violent and divided species that we are thanks for listening once again and if you're a new listener pop right over you don't you don't get by you don't escape pop right over to the gofundme drop me a dollar drop me a shekel dinar, a franc, or I guess a euro at that point, uh, a ruble, something, you know. And drop me a like, drop me a share, drop me a comment in the uh, SoundCloud comment box down there, and tune in uh, for the next episode, which will hopefully be this week. I'm hopefully going to be able to do two of these in a week, uh, because I'm a madman. You're being held captive at the whim of a madman. Thanks for listening. Bye.